This episode of Beethoven on Friday was prepared for release on March 5th, 2021. My name is Terry Noel Tao. If you are enjoying the podcasts that I have been presenting under the auspices of the Foundation for the Revival of Classical Culture, a Connecticut not-for-profit corporation, I urge you to consider and to make a tax-deductible contribution to the Foundation. If the idea appeals to you, please go to the Foundation's main web page at www. F-F-R-C-C dot O-R-G. Scroll to the bottom of that page. In the center, you should see a red tablet with the word donate on it. Click on the tablet and you will be moved to a page that will provide you with the information that you will need in order to make a tax-deductible contribution to the Foundation for the Revival of Classical Culture. I thank you in advance for your gift. Greetings. This episode of Beethoven on Friday is another episode of Dropped Stitches and Loose Ends. Recordings that I had intended to present to you on previous occasions and for whatever reason wasn't able to do so. The first of these recordings I simply couldn't find when I made the first Loose Ends and Drop Stitches podcast. It came to me in a pleasant but unusual way. Thanks to the, if you will, intervention of a wonderful man in Princeton, New Jersey, named Richard Mosley, I was introduced to the remarkable Victor Elmala, E-L-M-A-L-E-H, one of the great musical and ballet Mycenaeuses in New York. Victor lived to be 94. Victor and I became friends almost instantly from that very first luncheon. And I would be sitting in the office and the phone would ring. It would be Victor. You doing anything? Well, just nuts and bolts work. Why? Please get on the subway. Come down to the office. We'll have lunch. I did it as frequently as I could. Victor would have a lovely lunch catered in, and he and I would sit and talk about music and other things for two or three hours, and then I would go back to the office. On one of these occasions... He said, guess the pianist. 
and into the CD player he put a recording of the Beethoven Piano Concerto Number no. 1 in C Major, Opus 15. I could tell from the sound that it wasn't new, that it was almost certainly recorded on 78. But I said, I know the Wilhelm Kempf, I know the Arthur Schnabel, it's not either one of those. I wonder who it could be. Well, it turned out that this recording was made in Buenos Aires, Argentina, in 1949. The Orquesta Sinfonica de Radio El Mundo is conducted by Alberto Castellano. The pianist is an eight-year-old, an eight-year-old who has gone on to an international career of the highest stature. The pianist is now almost 80. The pianist, Marta Argerich.
in concert in Buenos Aires, Argentina in 1949. The Orquesta Sinfonica de Radio El Mundo under the direction of Alberto Castellano 
the pianist Marta Argerich, who was born on June 5th, 1941, so I don't have a precise date, so depending on when in the year it took place, she was either seven or eight years old. I do know from independent sources that she made her debut in Buenos Aires in 1949, at the age of eight. I just think that's an astonishing performance, and I am so grateful to Victor El Mala for making sure that I knew it and had it in my collection. And I had wanted to use it previously, and I simply couldn't find the disc. It had gotten misfiled. And as my mother used to say to me, look for one thing, find something else. And that's precisely what happened. The eminent, but now unjustly neglected and forgotten, English conductor, Sir Henry J. Wood, the man who made the promenade concerts the institution that they are in England every summer, was born on March 3rd, 1869. This next recording was one I just simply wasn't able to use on other occasions, and it is a recording of the Beethoven Symphony Number no. 5 in C minor, Opus 67. This recording was made in London on May 3rd, 1935. Sir Henry J. Wood is conducting the Queen's Hall Orchestra.
recorded in London, England, on May 3rd, 1935. The Queen's Hall Orchestra, under the direction of Sir Henry J. Wood, who was born on March 3rd, 1869. Ludwig van Beethoven, the Symphony No. 5 in C minor, Opus 67. A fascinating and compelling performance, for sure. And now, the Budapest String Quartet, in a recording that was made in 1960. The Quartet Number no. 10 in B-flat major, Opus 74, by Ludwig van Beethoven. The so-called Harp Quartet. At the time this recording was made, the members of the Budapest String Quartet were Joseph Reusmann and Alexander Schneider, violins, Boris Kreut, viola, and Misha Schneider, cello.
1960. The Budapest String Quartet. Joseph Reusmann and Alexander Schneider, violins.
Boris Kreut, viola, and Misha Schneider, cello. Ludwig van Beethoven, the quartet number 10 in E-flat major, opus 74, the so-called harp quartet. Now, this next drop stitch is something that I had planned to include in one of my segments during Lynn's Beethoven birthday all-day celebration this past December 16th. As I expected, she had more material than she knew what to do with, and this item was one thing that fell by the wayside. This is a remarkable document. The great conductor Felix von Weingartner made an orchestration of the piano sonata number 29 in B-flat major, opus 106, the Hammerklavier. It's a marvelous orchestration. I think Beethoven would be very pleased with it. And one of the reasons it's so successful is, in essence, Felix von Weingartner uses the orchestration of the Ninth Symphony. He is the conductor in this recording, which was made in London, England, in the late 1930s. If my little gray cells are working correctly, 1937.
recorded in London, England, in the late 1930s, 1937, I think. Don't have access to the specific information at the moment. My bad. Felix von Weingartner conducting the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra in a performance of his orchestration of Ludwig van Beethoven's Piano Sonata Number no. 29 in B-flat major, opus 106, the Hammer Klavier Sonata. I never cease to be amazed by that orchestration, in which, as I think I mentioned earlier, Weingartner uses the same instrumentation that one finds in the Ninth Symphony. I never cease to be amazed by that. Beethoven's piano writing is so, if you will, piano-centric that you wouldn't think that you could make an effective orchestration. And of no sonata, in my opinion, is that more true than of the Hammerklavier. Bless his heart, Felix von Weingartner makes it work. Those of you who have listened to the podcast in which I presented recordings of the music of Ludwig van Beethoven that were made before January 1st, 1931, may recall that I expressed frustration that I could not find the first recording of the Ninth Symphony, which was made in Berlin in 1923. Another manifestation of look for one thing, find another. So, I'm going to pick up that if you will, drop stitch. In this performance, which was recorded in Berlin, Germany, in 1923, which means, by the way, that it's an acoustic, not an electric, Ethel Hansa is the soprano, Eleanor Schlosshauer, the contralto, Eugen Tronsky, the tenor, Albert Fischer, the bass, the Berlin State Opera Chorus, and an entity called, in English, the New Symphony Orchestra Berlin, obviously a pickup ensemble of some kind, are all under the direction of Bruno Zeidler-Winkler, who was a very fine practical musician an excellent pianist and accompanist, and something of a house conductor to the Gramophone Company in Berlin in the early years of the 20th century.
recorded in Berlin, Germany, in 1923. The first recording of the Symphony No. 9 in D minor, Opus 125, the so-called Choral Symphony, by Ludwig van Beethoven. The soloists were Ethel Hansa, soprano, Eleanor Schlosshauer, contralto, Eugen Tronsky, tenor, and Albert Fischer, bass. The Berlin State Opera Chorus and an ensemble described on the labels as the New Symphony Orchestra Berlin. I assume it says Neue Symphony Orchestra Berlin. All were under the direction of Bruno Zeidler-Winkler, one of the great musical recording pioneers. Pianist, accompanist, conductor, sort of the house conductor to the gramophone company in Berlin in the late teens and early 1920s. You know, it really is a fine performance. Intimate in nature, as I'm sure you noticed, the chorus isn't large, and it doesn't suffer because of that. And of course, the orchestra is chamber orchestra-sized, and I'm sure they stretch the limits given the fact that they were recording using the acoustic process. This recording, little known, hardly ever gets played, and when it does, it's usually one person sitting in his or her living room playing it privately. It's rarely, if ever, broadcast. I will get down off the soapbox. A savory, if you will, is always welcome after the ninth. It is so rich that one really wants a little something more. And as I said, this is loose ends and drop stitches day. And, well, the Grossa Fuga in B-flat major, opus 133. The original intended finale for the string quartet, opus 130. Particularly in the 20th century, musicians have found the challenge irresistible. The challenge? Yes, making an orchestration of the Grosse Fuge. Felix von Weingartner prepared one, and so did the marvelous pianist, chamber musician, and conductor Edwin Fischer. In Berlin, between 1939 and 1941, he recorded his orchestration with an ensemble that he called simply his chamber orchestra. So here are Edwin Fischer and the Edwin Fischer Chamber Orchestra playing Edwin Fischer's orchestration of the Grosse Fuge in B-flat major, opus 133, by Ludwig van Beethoven.
recorded in Berlin, Germany, between 1939 and 1941. The great Edwin Fischer on the podium, conducting the Edwin Fischer Chamber Orchestra in a performance, a remarkably intense one, of Edwin Fischer's orchestration of the Grosse Fuga in B-flat major, opus 133 of Beethoven. Definitely a loose end. It's one of those things, where am I going to put it? So, I'm putting it in this program. It's a wonderful performance. So wonderfully intense. Incisive. Fisher knew what he was doing. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Beethoven on Friday, a second installment of Loose Ends and Dropped Stitches. I am immensely grateful to the Foundation for the Revival of Classical Culture, which makes these podcasts a reality. The Foundation for the Revival of Classical Culture is a not-for-profit corporation in Connecticut. Since it's a not-for-profit, that means that your contributions are deductible to the fullest extent allowed by law. If you are interested in supporting the Foundation and its various efforts, including these podcasts, please go to the main webpage for the Foundation for the Revival of Classical Culture at www.ffrcc.org. Scroll to the bottom of the page. You should see a red tablet that says Donate. Click on that tablet. You will be transferred to a page that will provide you with all of the information that you will need in order to make a contribution to the Foundation for the Revival of Classical Culture. I thank you in advance for your generosity. My name is Terry Noel Tao.